I don't. I don't know what that means. You'd always suspect those things as being not being what the Buddha said. I mean, there's a lot in any scripture that isn't. You know, it's not. It's thus have I heard, and it's not. <laughs> and some people hear all kinds of things. Well, it's different. <coughs> Some say he predicted his dispensation will last five thousand years. <coughs> so that's why in, in twenty five hundred they had this big kind of uh, celebration of the halfway mark in Rangoon they had a big in 1956 they had a big uh, kind of sangha meeting worldwide and uh, and it's strange after 1956 there seems to be suddenly a lot more interest in Buddhism was in the 50s that I became interested. The English Sangha Trust began in 1956. Ajahn Amaro was born in 
functions in that way. In terms of our experience. <clears throat> but how, how do we go into the, the silence or not silentness? Using the sound of silence. And the silentness, still the sound of silence still is as a baby. Well that helps. That's like, like a that's useful because that's where the thinking process stops, where your mind is in a state of openness, expansive awareness, and and then <coughs> as signless, then it's not we're not let go of any views you have about it. So it's just as is. You know, as it being anything but this to the experience in itself. <clears throat> and then it's, uh, it's like space, like space em embraces everything, doesn't, space doesn't cancel out anything. The sound of silence like that has no, doesn't cancel out anything. <clears throat> But it includes, so it's, uh, it has that measureless, expansive, limitless, infinite, <coughs> as experience, as direct experience that you can contemplate, you know, so you're not just using abstract words, talking about deathless, immeasurableness, and just ideas in your head, but you're actually beginning to recognize or realize that as experience. Because so many of those words like infinity and uh, immortality and that are, <clears throat> are merely concepts to most people. And their only reality is, uh, is with, uh, with thoughts and emotions and material objects. So they, they, you know, they're just bouncing off one thing, going on to another, and uh, and that's all they ever notice in their lives is just they go from like thinking goes from one thought to the next. You know, if you're a real thinker, then you're just always thinking because one thought will lead on to another thought, lead on to another thought, and it just goes on, <laughs> and then <laughs> because that's how thinking works, you know, just one thought triggers off association with some other and, and, and you go around with that or emotional experience you know you have uh, 
<clears throat> you have somebody praises you or criticizes you and, and then you, you have some emotional feeling and, uh, and you know, you feel anger or resentment then you start thinking about it, you get, you get defensive or you get blaming or you, you know, you, you go around and around with that and so, and we live in a, are we just seeking happiness, you know, just, just trying to find uh, endless pleasure or distraction through pleasant or exciting sense experience or relationships with others or whatever. It's endlessly going on and on, and, and no space between. So that's why people burn out and stress, because the, the, the pace of life is, uh, is so speedy now. But then as you're just looking at the gaps, at the silence, People talk about silence, but nobody used to ever talk about silence. Or, I mean, it was always, you know, filling up the silence, there was a silence, something was wrong, you know, it was terribly embarrassing, you know. And uh, you just fill it up with maybe some ridiculous statement, because you feel so uncomfortable in, in the silence. And then I like the Buddha's story of about the Buddha being, you know, the Buddha's silence, where the pandits come and try to get him to expound on the infinite and the immortal and the, what happens to you when a, what happens to an arahant when he dies, and you just sit there. And then the pandas say, oh, he doesn't know. How can he be a Buddha? He doesn't even know. Things like that. <clears throat> and, uh, but actually the silences are, you know, that was, uh, that was a direct pointing. The answer was in the silence, not in the, where you can, where pandas were used to speculating about things that, that no one could really know or prove. And that's what, what a lot of people do, they're always speculating about, do you believe in life after death, or do you believe in reincarnation? Do you think, do you believe in, is there a God or isn't there a God? Do you believe in God, or do you believe there isn't any God? And uh, when Ajahn Chah died, where did his... Minyan go. <laughs> we can speculate. We can we can make guesses, but we don't know. In the way that that people that ask those questions want to know, that want answers. I mean, those questions are answerable, but in a different way than, than just, you know, some kind of uh, created answer to a question based on speculation or on guessing. And then Venerable 
uh, Nirodo's request, how to listen to her days. <laughs> it's uh, like listening. The, the best way is to is to listen, like put your mind in a state of receptivity, and then just, and then say, if I'm giving a day sonata, is to feel it. How does it, uh, notice how you are feeling, like your state of mind. So you're, you know, you are aware, maybe you're, you're feeling tense, or you're feeling negative, or you're not feeling so well, or you're feeling inspired, or whatever, just to notice, or maybe just calm, so you know that, because the state of mind is going to influence how you hear things, you know, so, so to know, notice what your mental state is, and then let it, let the, let the words hit you like waves upon a shore, and just, <laughs> just see how the effect they have on you, on your, on your mind. So that then you can, you know, then you, you actually, you know, whether, whether, you know, you, you feel bewildered, or you feel agreement, or you feel contention, or you feel what I'm saying is, is wrong, or, or whatever, just to, just to notice that, that power of words, or, just the setup, like being on a high seat, being in the ex cathedra position, the authority speaking from the from the pulpit, and some people automatically have aversion to that, you know, or, or underlying aversion. Things, just little things you can observe. Or the tone of voice, or the way I might say things affect you. You know, the emphasis I place, I might have a, some kind of, you might feel yourself, suddenly feel very shocked or bewildered or averse just by the tone of voice. Because it, it like, in, then you're, then you're really listening. <coughs> listening to it and you're and you're meditating on it so you're actually you know using the situation for mindfulness wisdom rather than and then just going through the motions of of uh, you know the tradition and or maybe just operating on the assumptions that, that you have about listening to sermons the Another sermon. <laughs> I hope it's only twenty minutes. Buddha gave me 
and also gave reasons why he didn't ask those questions to Ananda and to other people. But you also referred to them being answerable in a different way. And and some seem answerable in a different way, but um, you, you, you referred to Austin Shah's Vinya, is that? Vinyana. What? Vinyana. Vinyana. And that refers to wisdom? Consciousness. Consciousness. So that's one of the five kinds? Yeah, one of them. About. <laughs> yeah. But about what you refer to as awareness of people, which is impersonal. It seems to me, anyway, the question if that was immortal or not is one that doesn't have an answer in our experience, or in any experience, I should put that one. I guess much. More than this occurs. <laughs> That's is that a question? It's not one of the ten unanswerable questions, but it is a question that arose about listening. <laughs> well, that, or earlier, actually earlier, when you you gave the occasion for me to ask it by bringing the questions. It seems that. Or another way to ask the question, is that awareness unconditioned in the realm of anything that one experiences, and that I don't mean that one can experience awareness, but in the realm of look in the realm. The answer is yes. But you don't really know that because you don't know you know perhaps when the body dies, that awareness ends, one doesn't know. I, I know I don't know her, and I don't see any knowing in me about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, that's the doubt in your mind. Because you, so you, so you're, uh, because you think about it, and uh, and the thinking process is all based on, on uh, conditions, and then then the unconditioned remains a kind of negation of the conditions, like unconditioned or immor immortality is a negation of mortality, but and that's the limitation of language and thought. So then the but then the mindfulness or the awareness or the heedfulness is the is the is the way we realize the deathless. See so so that's where uh, that's a that's where you, you know you, you give up thinking about it, and it's a, and and where the you put yourself into that state of attention, and uh, and through that attention, then then the then the uh, you know you're not thinking anymore. You're not you're not you're not trying to to uh, see it in any way other than to to realize it, to know it directly. So, in terms of 
experience, direct experience from an individual experience, that's what you can know. Or like the realization of Nibbana, you can, uh, you can, is the realization, realizing non-grasping. There's grasping and then Nibbana is the knowing of non-grasping. So, so, so the Buddha always offered these, you know, the, the, the condition and then the unconditioned. So like Atta, Anatta, before you can really, before you re- realize Anatta, you have to know what like Atta is, or Self, or Sakya Ditti, and that kind of thing. You, you, you don't just believe in Anatta, or in un- unconditioned, as, as kind of a metaphysical uh, doctrine that, that you can only believe in because you can't realize till you're dead. But uh, the Buddha is actually pointing to a direct realization, while the, while the you know in the present that wasn't dependent on on this body dying to 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 know the ultimate reality. But that ultimate reality is seen is realized in a very humble way. It's not like ultimate reality in a in a in a the grand plan, but, but just in the terms of, of one's own experience within the limitations of a human conscious experience. So, well then, immediately the mind starts thinking, is that possible, or am I just fooling myself, or am I, is Arjun Samedo fooling himself, do you think? Or... Is it really possible? And we get up in, in doubt. And then doubt is, of course, uh, one of the fetters, first three fetters, which you teach her. And it's one of the hindrances, doubt. So, and, and in order to realize stream entry, you have to understand doubt and not, not, not believe in, in the tendency to doubt things. So, uh, because doubt is the result of thinking. <clears throat> so this is where it ends up as, a, as an act of faith, again. But it's, it's faith not in, in some kind of belief, but faith through, through, through uh, panya, through contemplating, and then, and then, uh, then giving up your attempt to try to prove it through through thinking or through ideas and trust in just the, the because like the silence doesn't seem like much of anything in terms of the thinking mind that, that can conceive of, of of unconditioned reality as, as you know as something fantastic really something you know really mind blowing really you know saying he's realized Nibbana. <laughs> Starts building up some, some, you know, grand scenario of Nibbana. But it's, uh, but that's not how, that, I can't, I mean, I, when I 
when I try, when I put, start thinking or conceiving the bond as something, uh, something, you know, really abstruse and very far away from me, then, then it, I'm just making it impossible. It's a useless term, really, because it, it has nothing to do with the present moment or with my experience of life. So that's why you internalize the practice so that you're really <clears throat> knowing from your own experience. You know, you're, you're not talking about even Ajahn Chah's experience or anyone else's experience. It doesn't matter whether anyone else ever realized Nibbana or, or ever will, but you. <laughs> because you can't know what others, I mean, they might say they realize Nibbana and that, but you don't really know. And you can't know what somebody else realizes, but you, you know what you're realizing. And then, then like, like just time, you know, contemplations of time, past, present, future. And then, and you see the, how time is, is just perception really, you know, in terms of experience. It's a, it's a perception like a memory or, or a, uh, anticipating something in the future. We're talking about direct experience. And then the present even, as soon as we label this the present, then we're, we're giving it a name again. But if we withdraw the whole need to, we let go the need to label and figure out, then things are as they are. And we're aware of the changingness of conditioned experience in the present. And, uh, and, but in that awareness of change, change takes place in the unconditioned. So then your, your, your relationship isn't, is no longer just, uh, uh, seeing the condition as opposed to the unconditioned, but seeing them as a, as a unity, you know, that they, the condition, the unconditioned, and the, the wisdom to discern the difference, like as the Buddha mind, to know, to know the condition is the condition, or the unconditioned is the unconditioned. That's really, it, that's why, why when you, uh, like say God the, in in Christianity uh, tends to get you know placed too high uh, and it's separate you know so so there's always problems around God or uh, you know and trying to figure out if there is or isn't and and whatnot because and yet. Mysticism, Christian mystics, you see, they're bringing it into the direct, direct experience, uh, and and so God isn't is is no longer the the tendency to put God on some high throne up in the sky, uh, that let go of that because that's due to thinking, or even God need, needing to have needing to have a gender, you know, when you know you don't need God does. You don't have to think of even God as a hermaphrodite or anything. <laughs> you, 
it's you know it's a transcending the differences the the the, the, the qualities of life. So so then so then uh, manifestations can take gender, but uh, but they can be male or female. But but when you're but when you're uh, you know when you're contemplating your own mind, then you see that you know you're you're realizing you're, there's a re- the reality is much more profound than anything you can think of. And and then the the questions that get asked merely from the conditioned mind are, are are answered in that in that realization. But it's like budget tongue, you have to realize it. You can't answer those questions uh, in the way that the thinking mind demands. Because it's a real realization rather than a than a uh, theory or a speculation or a, or just a, another thought that follows a, a question. Right. Well, that's like immor or deathless. Say, deathless is uh, you know. So, but but when you get into to realization on condition, then you can look at it as immortal or unconditioned or or uh, desireless or an emptiness or anatta or nothingness. Uh, so, so I mean, it's just words, just kind of different ways of contemplating it, you know, because it's the same thing. It's not not like a thing, or it's not a. It has no quality. But then the words that we have, pointing to that realization, we have different different words, and so. Like um, the important thing is the realization, you know, the reality of it, rather than the, like the word immortality tends to tends to be too much connected in the Western mind with a, with a soul, an individual soul, isn't it? It's really lasting for us. Yeah, but and so where in. Uh, 
where we would say deathless. Does that mean the same thing? <laughs> Not mortal? <laughs> Not mortal or deathless. Amata they use. Amaravati, <laughs> Mara, Mara is death. You know, like the the Mara is the personification of evil forces, temptations, and and, and but it is it is actual word for death. Mara and then Amara is deathless, and. Uh, They have, like in Kai, they have various words for, like, the personification of death, like Pratmajura, is like the, the prince of death, or something like that. So, I mean, they... <laughs> Majuno Padang, when they say, Pamado Majuno Padang, Majuno is death. The Padang is Pa, way of death. And so death, and then the thing is, like, in our minds, this is an interesting one to contemplate, at least I found it, like, life and death. Like, the dualistic mind conceives death is the end of life. So, so we, we, we but actually, life doesn't die. What was born dies. You see, and that, that's where you, where if you're just thinking in a, in a dualistic way, then it, then you see death cancels out life. But if you're looking at, at it in terms of mindfulness, then, uh, then death is not the, doesn't cancel, it cancels out the condition that was born. But life isn't born and doesn't die. And so this, but then, then what do we mean by life? Because the experiences that we, we call life are usually around conditioned phenomena only. You know, so we, we say it's alive because it, you know, because it has a, a condition that we, we identify as being alive. And then, and then when it, when something dies, then we, we say, then that means there's no more life. But, and, and, when, and just like in our own experience, we think of, when I die, you know, I die, my body dies. But uh, in terms of transcendent realization, then, then you, can, you can relate to terms like eternal life. But not in the way that we, not as a ideal that we have in the West of eternal life. It's much, it's because that tends to be associated with some kind of heavenly realm where you live forever. You with, have an yeah, <laughs> as, yeah, you you know, I was brought up with that 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 I would 
I would always be Robert Jackman forever. <laughs> and I didn't really like the idea actually. <laughs> And uh, then, then appealed to me, but they, yeah. Well, that my, and then they say, my mother say, that which is really you, that essence, you know, your soul, that will live forever. And uh, that sounded nice in a way, but then when I tried to figure out what that was, I couldn't come up with anything. You know, what would I want that would live forever? You know. What do I have, you know, in me that that I would want to call Robert Jackman's soul and live forever? And uh, couldn't find anything. <laughs> but the uh, but then in the in the uh, Buddhist practice where there's awareness, this. You know, an experience of awareness. Now that's worth living forever. Through that awareness. Because then, then you're not stuck in the limitations of karma or of perception. Or, you know, it's, it's total and it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not bound by uh, a quality or a condition. So then, reflecting in that way, then, and then the then these things like apamado amatapadang, the heedfulness is the way to the deathless, it all began to make sense. You know, I began to to because I'd always in my mind I'd always thought in ter- life and death in in, the, in a very Western way. You know, like like. Uh, Death is the end of life, and then then you then you then you have to have a, a, a concept of eternal life. But now I see I see more like this is like a like a flower blooming, or a it's a it's a or a radio or something in the universe. It picks up things, you know. Things flow through this. It's a channel. So so you know experience things contact and flow through this form and uh, and and so but it's not anything in itself it's not mine it's not I can but I can uh, out of ignorance not understanding then I can identify with this form and think this is me and then I'm limited by that by that because it is a limited form and then it has its karma so the way energy flows through it, gets distorted through the knots and twists of one's karma. So, you, you know, it kind of goes through this, <laughs> this maze and gets, you know, gets all kind of distorted or blocked up. But once you kind of free the mind from its, from the blockages, then there's purity, there's intelligence, light, and then, then it's like our our life. Then, as an individual human, is like a blessing. Like, like Buddha was a blessing to humanity. Blesses the world, or blessings flow through when when you 
get rid of the kinks and the knots, then the then then the blessings, the divine blessings. Also, because you you see enlightened beings, and their lives have a you know a blessed quality. They're, they're like always a blessing to to the place they're in. And uh, like the lotus, lotus flower is in Asia is considered, you know, a, a symbol for that. Because even in the midst of a <clears throat> filthy, foul slum, a lotus blooms and is still as beautiful as ever. So, <laughs> and blesses the scene, even even in the midst of. Of, of a sewer or whatever. And these are like a, like a, a being that, that has been liberated from the delusions and is like a blessing to the world, like arahants are considered a great blessing. Or saints. <laughs> good people. Just being good is a blessing. You know, just being a good person. Now, I've been criticized for talking about unconditioned in Nibbana. And last year I gave a retreat in, in um, the Buddhist Youth Association in Bangkok. And, and uh, at the end of it, there's this woman, Thai lady, that is, a very, is a considered authority on the Abhidhamma. She teaches the Abhidhamma. And so she came the last day of this. And uh, she's always giving me advice and correcting me when I make mistakes. So at the, at the end, of, after the, the uh, I saw her come in while I was giving my talk. <laughs> and, then, and then I... I decided I, I wanted to, well, I, I knew uh, I could probably get away. <laughs> okay. And then after the, after we all dismissed, then she came rushing up and, and she said, uh, uh, can I make a suggestion, Arjan? But of course. <laughs> <laughs> She says, uh, I don't think you should talk about so much about Nibbana. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, and and I've, I, I know it's like I, I have been criticized for this, but, but to me this is, you know, this is the whole point. And it's not that I'm trying to to uh, convince anybody, but just just try to uh, encourage people to uh, that they can, you know, realize these things. You know, it's not because 
in Buddhist countries too, don't they? They just so stuck with with so many fixed views about Buddhism that, that they, they 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 keep saying the next life, next life. You know, they don't <laughs> they don't realize, you know, that, that that's not what the Buddha was teaching. He's teaching about, you know, Vimuti, liberation here and now, he wasn't, he never, you know, he, that's the, that's the, the dispensation of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths is about liberation now, not about next life. And then, then we were researching the Paticca Samuppada with the Anagarikas and, and then we came, the, the, the interpretation that Buddha Gosa makes in the, in Visuddhi Magga is about three lives. Yeah, so that that's kind of like that always made me kind of depressed when I read that because it, it sounds like you're born physically born with a vicha ignorant and and you can't really get rid of it as long as your body's alive and uh, so you, you know you're kind of stuck from the beginning. It's kind of predestined almost. And it, and it does, it seemed to me to be, seem more like a theoretical teaching rather than a, than a liberating teaching. But yet, in the scripture, the Buddha was actually contemplating Patita Samuppada, enlightenment. I mean, it had to be, you know, it, had, it couldn't be, it couldn't just mean that, that interpretation. And then uh, Buddha Dasa started talking about you know, rising, simultaneous arising of the present and, and, uh, and realizing that a vicha isn't, isn't like our natural state. That, I mean, we, like a Western mind, isn't it? We can easily assume like we're born in sin. That's the, that's the Judeo-Christian position. You're born in sin. And so you, 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 you know, that, that means that you're born a sinner, you're already kind of lost, you know, due to Adam and Eve. We're all paying the price for their indiscretion. And and how long ago did that happen? And and, and was it that bad, you know, eating an apple? <laughs> But you know, as much as we can laugh at that, that that image is underlying European values, Jewish and Christian, and probably Muslim also. Uh, that sense of the fall, and and yet in one way it works, you know, in in terms of of uh, explaining the human condition, why we suffer, but. But it also tends to put it in a historical context, in a previous time, where, where the Buddha's emphasis is on here and now, you see. So, so like, avicca is, you know, if I think, well, I'm, I'm, 
a lot of people do this. They, they, there's this word butuchana, like an ordinary person that is unenlightened. So I hear even monks and nuns go around saying, well, we're just butuchanas. You know, so they, they make a mistake or they, they, they lose their tempers or something. They say, well, we're just butuchanas. You know, we're not arahants. And that's like, you know, that's a, a way of, of saying, you know, don't expect me to be a saint because I'm just an ordinary person. I'm not enlightened yet. And, uh, and that, that can underlie, underlie our basic attitude towards ourselves, that I am a Batuchana and I, I am a sinner or I am impure or I am, I'm not enlightened yet. And, and that, that is based on the ego, on the sense of I am. And, and we, you know, we certainly can make convincing cases to support that <laughs> position. But, but when, but when you really uh, examine the moment, you know, that there's not, and, and you, you know, when you're, when you're developing, when you're, learning to trust in being aware in the present, then that whole sense of being a Batuchana or a sinner or that you see is merely a condition that comes and goes in the mind and is not really what you are at all. So so then you're you're if you really begin to break through that basic delusion about yourself, then you can trust in that in that pure awareness because then that's where vicha is or seeing things as they really are knowing the truth so that we're not just trying to to, to get rid of a vicha before we have vicha but we actually realize that vicha is now and, and when we get heedless then we, we fall into the old avicha patterns is all but avicca is not our true nature. It's not what we are. But it, it tends to be an identity we hold and a habit that we have. So uh, uh, the only way to, to liberate the mind from that delusion is through this awareness. So then, then the whole concept of the self just... You see, it's a convention. It's not, you know... You, like pure awareness is the same in all of us. It is. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't have any name like Robert Jackman or Ajahn Sumato or any. You know, it doesn't. It has. It's a transcendent thing. So a, a reality. So it's it's pure and uh, and unblemished. It's like you never lose it. It's never. You never. I mean, you think you lose it, but actually, it's, it's now. And it's never stained by anything you think, say, or do. So even the, the most awful criminal has done the most atrocious acts. <clears throat> the purity is still there. I mean, that never leaves. But the, but the, uh, the heavy karma tends to blind it, you know, build up thick layers of, of, uh, of calluses so we forget but uh, in terms of of experience I mean like just 
just in in a life like based on morality, right here. You know, it's so easy to forget uh, and just be fall back into the old attitudes about yourself and the world and and because uh, that's what everybody th- how everybody thinks and and feels on, on the condition level is that awakened state so simple <laughs> but you see how I I really I, I, I mean I've been practicing this for so long that I, that I really know what I'm talking about so I mean it's like it's not it's not like a theory but it's but I see that that even with Buddhist teachers so much of it is theoretical and and it's still from, well, I'm not enlightened yet, but I know how to practice Vipassana or something like that. And it, you know, you, <laughs> I'm a Vipassana teacher. Of course I'm not enlightened, but... <laughs> <laughs> and that, that whole thing goes on, you see. So, so and it's not that I'm claiming enlightenment either, but I mean, it's, it's like, I'm not going around claiming I'm enlightened, because that's not the way it is either. It's, it's a... It's letting go of all that whole need to to identify with anything and trusting in it, and and then of course emotionally we feel, you know, you know emotionally you feel pretty nervous and scared about it because because emotions very much need uh, their habit, you know, their habits, and so. You, you can really feel, you know, even terror. You know, when sometimes you have insights, you know, and many people have insight into, first insight into <coughs> emptiness, they become terrified. Because it's like, you know, they're emotionally, they're, they're, their emotions can't take it. Or no self, you know. I remember when when the idea of no selfish came in, it terrified me because to me no self sounded like death, like like you know I I needed to be somebody and and not to be anybody was you know as a concept sounded like sounded horrific to me. I remember really feeling fear at that. Or like when when I first came across the Gandhian teachings about non-resistance to evil, you know, non-resistance to evil. And I've been conditioned to resist evil all my life. You know, so the parents and the priests would say, resist evil at all costs. Don't let the evil one get you. So, you know, and that was, you know, being brought up as a, in a strong Christian background that was, you know, in, indelibly printed in my psyche, resistance to evil. And then, then suddenly the teaching non-resistance to evil. And if you don't resist evil, the devil will take you over, you're lost. You know? <laughs> if I don't resist, he'll just come and he'll just take me over and I'll be a helpless puppet in the hands of the devil. That's what, it, in the logic, isn't it? In the... 
And I could see that, you know, that if, that, you know, it's up to me to resist evil. And uh, if I don't, then, then the evil forces will take me over. But then Gandhi, of course, couldn't help but, uh, you know, by the time I discovered Mahatma Gandhi, I was, I was, an, I was interested. The idea of non-resistance to evil. I thought, that's really interesting. <laughs> but it frightened me because emotionally I was conditioned to resist. And, uh, and, uh, and I felt, you know, really, you know, that, that terror, that fear of being taken over if I didn't resist. Yes, yes. No, attaining is not the right word. Well, that's not actually kind of what it's a kind of difficult. It comes from translations into our language, but it's interesting in the Pali when the Buddha speaks about, like, say, Pali Nirvana, in the Theravada countries, people assume that that's something which happens after the Buddha died and was. It's like realize or become witness. Become, yeah. Or yeah, attainment is is the is is the habit of this language, isn't it? Attaining stream entry, things like that. Attaining jhanas.
Like, like this is the laboratory, this here, it's like you can prove it all in here. And that's the important thing, is, is to, you know, that don't believe, don't believe anyone, you know, it's not, uh, not a matter of, of believing, but of testing it out. Because, you know, that this is, this is what the Buddha was, was always, uh, his whole point, teaching was, was this is something to know was budget time to know for yourself it wasn't to be wasn't a, that's why Buddhism is a frustrating religion for religious studies teachers <laughs> <laughs> because they're always trying to interpret it like it was a, a theistic religion or it had it a metaphysical it had metaphysical doctrines that you you start with metaphysical doctrines in 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 theist in other religions, usually it's based uh, on metaphysics, and then uh, and then the Buddha used noble truths rather than metaphysics. So I mean, it it's it's like going to the opposite end of the spectrum, rather from the top, you're coming from the bottom. You know, like suffering is at the bottom of life, isn't it? Suffering is is banal, it's ordinary, it's not like God, which is I, you know, but it's 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 this ordinary, boring stuff that we all have every day. So then it's then yet it's noble truth. That's that's interesting. And Arya Satcha. So so then, but then you see that gets you into the mindfulness mode because you're starting from awareness around something so obvious and and, and uh, so common in, in every human life you know, so it's not based on on privileged birth even or wealth but on just a common human experience of suffering and then uh, but then you see then they say Buddha, Buddha taught everything is suffering like it was a metaphysical teaching but that's not, you know, that, that's, and, the, and you see that in some of the books here, there used to be one of the texts they used here in Britain, that said, I think it was written by a Christian, that Buddhism is all about, Buddha taught that everything's suffering, as if, you know, life is just all suffering and pain, and it's a pessimistic religion. And uh, unlike that, but it's, it's uh, but actually, Buddha taught suffering and the end of suffering, like Tanajan Mahagosananda always says that. The Buddha taught two th- only two things: suffering and the end of suffering. <laughs> 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 because that's all you really need to know: those two experiences, suffering and non-suffering, and then that. You can extrapolate from there into attachment, non-attachment, or self and non-self, or or conditioned or unconditioned. And just from 
from suffering and non-suffering to no suffering is like this, non-suffering is like this. So that's discernment, isn't it? You actually, <coughs> it's not like, it's not, not saying one is better than the other or anything. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not uh, putting down suffering even and saying non-suffering, you know, unconditioned is it. And uh, conditions are all suffering and, but it's it's to discern to have that clarity of mind to and know through direct discernment suffering like this non-suffering is this because in this position of a human consciousness we this is what we're at that point of intersection where we can know both you know so because this is this is the like the Buddha position, the Buddha knows suffering, non-suffering, the Buddha, the awakened mind knows suffering, non-suffering, and self, non-self. And that's where, like, the human, I like that, that T.S. Eliot quote. <laughs> you know that T.S. Eliot quote. Uh, to apprehend the point of intersection of the timeless with time. And, and so that, that's, uh, you know, that really stuck a note of, of the human state, because you're right on the edge. And, and just in the point of awareness, isn't it, right now? It's just like, you've got all these, these mortal things influencing, you've got a body and a chain and, and sensory consciousness and feelings and all the conditions are operating full on, you know. Right now, you've got this thing going on in whatever state it's in, that's the time, timeless, point of intersection of timeless with time, that's in the mind. You see, so this awareness puts you into that that point of intersection where you can discern and know desire, non-desire, self, non-self, uh, grasping, non-grasping, suffering, non-suffering. But the food in the Well, you're in that state of, uh, you know, because you're, you're, you're in that state of, of a transcendent, like it's a, you're actually uh, transcending the condition itself, but you're not judging it or losing it. You know, it's not, so it gives perspective to the to the, um, and the, you know, the body still operates and, and the conditions still rise and cease. But then we're, from, it breaks because we're, we're, we're so, we have to deal so much with 
you know, during a lifetime with the functions and and experiences of a human of human century experience that we're we're always you know, it's so easy to put, be pulled back into just the habits we have. This is where this continuous reminding, you know, this remembering, this mindfulness, to just, it's like, like a point of where you're not, you're not trying to reject the condition and move into the unconditioned as a refuge, or as a, as a, as a, as a way you're going to live your life. You're, you're learning to relax in the, your, the natural state of the unconditioned with all this stuff happening so that your perspective on it changes from identity to, to uh, identification with it to real, realizing its true nature. <laughs>